0: This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel the host. Coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the piney woods. Good to have you with us. It is Tuesday, the 12th day of December, 2023. Boy, did you watch Monday Night Football last night? Um, I, I, I will admit, don't tell Dr. Strand, but uh, during his church history lecture last night, which was really, really good... <laughs> I had the the, 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 the uh, Giants-Packers game on, on my uh, iPad, kind of tucked over here in the corner of the desk. Sound turned down, but I keep track of the score. What a good game. Um, my daughter is a Giants fan, so of course she was happy with the outcome. My son-in-law is a big-time Packers fan. So apparently my granddaughter, and actually, not just apparently, I have seen photographic evidence that my granddaughter last night was wearing a giant sweatshirt and Packers sweatpants. <laughs> to a little bit of domestic tranquility. Giants won by two points in a field goal at the end of the game. Ah, wow. And then the, the other game I switched over and watched the last few minutes they don't normally have two games on a Monday night, but they did last night. I don't know why that is. The vagaries of NFL scheduling are beyond me. But uh, they had, uh, it was uh, Miami and... so <laughs> uh, it's the game I didn't watch. Wasn't paying attention to, but uh, it was Miami and the Titans. And when I flipped over after the class ended... And I got to watch the fourth quarter with the sound on of the Giants-Packers game. And uh, when that game ended, the Miami game was still going. So I switched over to watch that. Miami was ahead. And uh, the Titans drove down the field and scored a touchdown and ended up winning the game. Um, Yeah, just... uh, uh, Good football last night. Um, Hard to believe we are in the middle of December. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, football, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Hmm. This is Herb's House Signature Blend this morning, as I have reached out to Herb's House for coffee this week. Uh, Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. All right. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer today. We have scripture reading. We have a reading from John MacArthur's daily readings from the life of Christ. And we resume our study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy. Today we are looking at Deuteronomy 20. And I'm actually going to try to get through the whole chapter. So that is the plan. If we start running long, I'll break it down and we'll finish it tomorrow. But uh, I'm hoping to... To get through all of 20. Um, and uh, that, like I said, that's the plan. Best laid plans of mice and men. Don't be insulted, Fiona. Fiona gets clean cage today. She will be happy. She has been active as can be today, but now she's gone into hiding. Um, where are you? Oh, there you are. There you are. So, Fiona is still in there. Running around. He's been active this morning. All right, let us begin as is our practice. Excuse me. Let us begin as is our practice with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, our scripture readings today or Genesis 7 and Psalm 7. So, Genesis 7. Then Yahweh said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, And of the animals that are not clean, too, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky, by sevens, male and female, to keep their seed alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. And Noah did according to all that Yahweh had commanded him. Now Noah was six hundred years old when the flood water came upon the earth then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground by twos they came to Noah into the ark male and female as God had commanded Noah now it happened after the seven after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth in the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on this day all the fountains of the great deep split open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. Then the rain came upon the earth for forty days and forty nights. On this very day Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark they and every beast after its kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every fowl, every winged creature. So they came to Noah into the ark by twos of all flesh, in which was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and Yahweh closed it behind him. Then the flood came upon the earth for forty days, and the water multiplied and lifted up the ark, so that it rose above the earth. And the water prevailed and multiplied greatly upon the earth, and the ark went on the surface of the water. And the water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains under all the heavens were covered. The water prevailed fifteen cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh that moved on the earth breathed its last, that is, birds and cattle and beasts and every swimming thing that swarms upon the earth, as well as all mankind. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, of all that was on the dry land died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah remained and those that were with him in the ark. And the water prevailed upon the earth one hundred and fifty days. Now Psalm 7. A Shegeion of David, which he sang to Yahweh concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite, O Yahweh my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Yahweh my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to him who is at peace with me, or have plundered my adversary without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, And let him trample my life down to the ground, and cause my glory to dwell in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Yahweh, in your anger. Lift up yourself against the fury of my adversaries, and arouse yourself for me. You have appointed judgment. Let the congregation of the peoples encompass you, and over them return on high. Yahweh judges the people. Give justice to me, O Yahweh, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and prepared it. HE HAS ALSO PREPARED FOR HIMSELF DEADLY WEAPONS. HE MAKES HIS ARROWS FIERY shafts. BEHOLD, HE TRAVAILS WITH WICKEDNESS. HE CONCEIVES MISCHIEF AND GIVES BIRTH TO FALSEHOOD. HE HAS DUG A PIT AND HOLLOWED IT OUT, AND HAS FALLEN INTO THE HOLE WHICH HE HAS MADE. HIS MISCHIEF WILL RETURN UPON HIS OWN HEAD, AND HIS VIOLENCE WILL DESCEND UPON HIS OWN SKULL. I WILL GIVE THANKS TO YAHWEH ACCORDING TO HIS RIGHTEOUSNESS. And I will sing praise to the name of Yahweh Most High. And now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ by John MacArthur. Today's devotional is a plea, the plea for forgiveness. And forgive us our debts, Matthew six twelve a. Doctor MacArthur writes, God will not forgive our sin if we do not confess them. John makes that condition clear when he declares, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 Confession simply means we agree with God that our sins are evil and defiling, and we do not want them to taint our walk with Christ. Our sinful pride makes it difficult to confess sin, but it is the only way to the free and joyful Christian life. See Proverbs 28.13. John Stott said, One of the surest antidotes to the process of moral hardening is the disciplined practice of uncovering our sins of thought and outlook as well as word and deed, and the repentant forsaking of the same. We must never take God's promise of forgiveness as a license for sin or as an excuse to presume on His grace. Instead, we must View forgiveness as an aid to our sanctification and be constantly thankful to the Lord for His loving kindness, loving forgiveness. Your prayer ought to coincide with the Puritan one. Grant me never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness and the exceeding wonder of grace. I am guilty but pardoned I am lost but saved. I am wandering but found. I am sinning but cleansed. Give me perpetual brokenheartedness. Keep me always clinging to thy cross. Ask yourself, how can one walk in an awareness of his own wretchedness while also living in the confidence of Christ's righteousness and salvation? Actually, it is only by realizing our great need for him that we can enjoy the grace that overwhelms our sin. Seek this biblical balance in your own life. All right. And now, Deuteronomy chapter 20. After a sip of coffee, I've got a little bit of thing in the back of my throat this morning. All right. I will read the chapter, and then we will discuss it. Um, again, just a brief reminder, Moses is taking God's law and applying it to life in the land. Now here in the statutes about warfare that we're looking at in chapter 20, it's talking about the conquest to come, because they're about to cross over and cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, and there will be you know, warfare to conquer the land. So it's talking about that, but it also is looking beyond that because it's talking about living in, you know, building houses and stuff like that. So the the War of Conquest was not going to be a short war. It was going to be a long, protracted war, which we knew that from the beginning. And uh, so there were going to be people who would, you know, they would conquer part of the land, their people would be settled there, and the conquest would continue. And so you would have people living, living their lives in the midst of the war, which is absolutely the true human condition. If we didn't live our lives in the midst of trouble, we'd never live our lives. Um, because trouble is all around us. I spoke about peace on Sunday and looked at the fact that you have conflicts right now on every major continent. There's conflict going on in Europe, Eastern Europe. There's, you know, certainly the threat of war, um, In Asia, in addition to which you have people who have been staring at each other over the barrels of guns in the Korean Peninsula since the 50s, you have, you know, the Chinese are threatening Taiwan. There's, There's all sorts of stuff going on, and an increasingly belligerent China should be something we worry about. There's, like I said, there's You know, you got the Russia-Ukraine thing going on in Eastern Europe. You've got um, several areas of conflict on the African continent. And right now, we have... uh, um, the, The dictator of Venezuela has announced that he's going to annex a large portion of Guyana. Well, I don't think the people of Guyana are going to put up with that uh, without a fight. So, you know, there's rising tensions there. Um, And as I said, Sunday, I would not be surprised to learn that there are rising tensions and conflict between various flocks of penguins in Antarctica. This is a world full of trouble and it's constant. It is, there's, there's, There's not a day of peace. There's conflict going on somewhere. Um, And that's just military conflict between nations. We're not talking about, you know, playground, playground fights or riots in the street or anything like that. We're talking about actual military conflict between military forces. You've got, you know, the Middle East with the Hamas in Israel, and now you have, a bunch of other Iranian-backed terrorist groups that have been lobbing bombs and missiles at American forces in the area, which we have yet to properly respond to. But that's more like a Monday meandering topic. But what I'm saying is that, that we have to live our lives in the midst of warfare. And this this chapter in Deuteronomy brings that out. Let me read the chapter, and then we'll talk about it. Deuteronomy chapter 20. If you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for Yahweh your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, is with you. Now it will be when you are drawing near to the battle, the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you are drawing near to the battle against your enemies today. Do not let your heart be faint. Do not be afraid, nor be alarmed, nor be in dread before them. For Yahweh your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. The officers also shall speak to the people, saying, Who is the man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Who is the man who has planted a vineyard and has not begun to use its fruit? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man begin to use his fruit. And who is the man who is engaged to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. Then the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Who is the man that is afraid and whose heart is faint? Let him go and return to his house, so that he might not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. Now it will be that when the officers have finished speaking to the people, they shall appoint commanders of armies at the head of the people. If you come near a city to fight against it, you shall call for terms of peace. Now it will be that if it agrees to make peace with you and opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall become your forced labor and shall serve you. However, if it does not make peace with you but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And Yahweh your God shall give it into your hand, and you shall strike all the males in it with the edge of the sword. Only the women and the little ones and the animals And all that is in the city, all its spoil, you shall plunder for yourselves. And you shall consume the spoil of your enemies, which Yahweh your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations nearby. Only in the cities of these people that Yahweh your God is giving you as an inheritance, you shall not leave alive anything that breathes, but you shall devote them to destruction, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, as Yahweh your God has commanded you, so that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done before their gods, so that you would sin against Yahweh your God. If you besiege a city for many days to make war against it in order to capture it, you shall not destroy its trees by swinging an axe against them. For you may eat from them, and you shall not cut them down, for is the tree of the field a man that you should that it should be besieged by you? Only the trees which you know are not trees for food you shall destroy and cut down, that you may build siege works against the city that is making war with you until it falls. There's a lot here, but it's all on the same topic of warfare. And it actually brings forward some humanitarian principles that aren't normal for sinful humans. War is brutal business, very brutal. And the atrocities of warfare are innumerable. Um, Sometimes atrocities are committed as a matter of policy, um, such as the, the, the rape and sexual assault that the Hamas terrorists perpetrated on October 7th. Um, that was planned. You can't tell me it wasn't. Um, sometimes it's incidental, and you know it's just the fact that you have men all amped up for battle and men are not moral creatures to begin with, And you put them in a situation where they are killing and looting and all of that and atrocities are going to happen. Um, And they happen on all sides of the war. It's just the nature of war. But here God is giving the people of Israel some principles to follow in their attacks, in their battles that would have been more humane than the average near Eastern military in the late bronze, early iron age. Um, so that this is a contrast to the cruelty that is often exhibited in war. First thing he says is don't be afraid. Um, when going into battle, the Israelites were not to be afraid of the enemy. Um, they, they weren't to look at the force balance and think we, there's no way we can win because God is able to defeat any army. And if their trust was in God, and not only if their trust was in God, but their, their, uh, their cause was just, um, they weren't to fear the enemy's numbers and the, the, the enemy's weapons. This doesn't mean that nobody would die, but it meant that Israel acting in obedience to God, and that's that's a key phrase, <laughs> Israel acting in obedience to God would be victorious. God had promised them the conquest, all of this, you know, he says, you know, don't look, don't look at the enemy, look at God, because God's going to give you the victory. So, this, this command not to be afraid is based upon God's power and God's faithfulness which was demonstrated by the fact that he had led them out of Egypt and not upon the ability of the Israelite military itself now the interesting thing about that is think about Egypt at the time that the Exodus took place Egypt was the world's superpower. That was the wealthy nation. That was the military powerhouse. And yet, without the Israelites swinging a stick, God led them out of Israel and defeated the Israelites. Destroyed their army in the Red Sea when the waters closed over them. And so reminding the Israelites of that, that this is why you shouldn't be afraid, because the God who goes with you into battle is the same God who utterly destroyed the military of Egypt so that you could be delivered. So don't be in dread. Don't be afraid. God is fighting against you. So then the priest is supposed to speak to the people and say, you know, and tell them not to be afraid and reassure them not to be afraid. Um, the role of the, the priest in, in the battle was to encourage the people by reminding them of God's faithfulness and reminding them of God's promises. You know, the... the if they didn't believe that God could fight for them that would affect their morale. So, you know, the, the encouragement that the priest gave as he, he reminded them of who God was, what God had done, and what God had promised to do, was to give them confidence in the battle. Then we have a, 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 an interesting passage here, beginning in verse 5, that talks about... Um, gives us four exemptions. People who were not to go into the battle. People who were excused from military service. Now, first off, I will note, the only ones serving in the military were men. (laughs) Um, So this is talking men of fighting age. Um, Remember, this is... We're talking about the late bronze, early iron age. (laughs) We are talking about you know you you fight battles face to face with muscle powered weaponry. You know, there's no no guy sitting up on a hill concealed with a fifty caliber Barrett picking off enemy officers from a mile away. That just doesn't happen because, you know, yes, they had missile weapons. they had bows and arrows. They had slings. But, you know, a couple hundred yards at most (laughs) was the effective range of some of these weapons. Um, You, you, you know, war was brutal and it was face to face and it was sword and shield and armor and spear. And when you killed a man, you were looking him in the eye. And it was, so it was men who fought the battles. Just on the basis of physical strength alone. Uh, you know, there's moral reasons also, but there are practical reasons of of strength. So these four exceptions were given to men who were going off to battle. And it says if you if you fit one of these categories, go home. Um it, it, it does kind of give you the impression that this was a volunteer army. Um, These were not... uh, On the one hand, it's assumed that every man of military age would fight. But on the other hand, you have these exceptions, that, that men are to be going home. And there's no mention of coercion of soldiers. There's no draft mentioned. So it's, it's assumed that every military-age man is going to fight. But it's also assumed that they're going to fight because they want to, not because somebody's making them. And, of course, in, you're fighting in defense of your home and your family. You know, even in these limited wars of conflict, there you know, of uh, conquest, because it's talking about besieging a city, um, you know, you've gone away from your home to fight, but you're fighting somebody who is your enemy who would threaten your family. So here are the four exceptions. Somebody who had just built a house. You've built in a house and you haven't dedicated it. I'm not sure what dedicating the house really refers to, but, uh, you got a brand new house and you haven't enjoyed it. You haven't lived in it. Um, They say, return home. Let him go home. Lest he die in the battle and another man live in the house he has built. So. There's a reason because of the building of the house. Not to put that man at risk. Second one. Is, is kind of a continuation of the same thing. He's planted a vineyard, but he hasn't begun to use of its fruit. So he's planted a vineyard, and he hasn't harvested any grapes. Let him go home so that he can enjoy the vineyard and not die and leave it to another. This is interesting provisions when you think about it, because this is, this is God reminding the people that the houses and the vineyards are his gift to us to enjoy. And so here is a let's you know don't go die in battle. You know this is not a case of the person is attacking the house and the farm and you have to fight. This is a case where the army is going out to fight. Now assuming they have a just reason, because God would not support an an unjust war, Um, assuming they have a just reason to go fight an enemy, God is still saying, okay, you built a house, you planted a vineyard, don't go to war lest you die and not get to enjoy the things that I, your God, have given you in the land to enjoy. The third exception is, is a man who's engaged to a woman and hadn't married her yet. Um, you know, go home, marry her, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. Elsewhere in the law, and I didn't look it up, I, I should have. Elsewhere in the law, there's a provision that a newlywed man wasn't, was not exempt for, for military service for a year. They weren't supposed to go to battle. For a year, um, presumably because, with you know, by God's blessing, within the first year, he would at least sire an heir to pass on his his uh, property and and propagate his line. Um, but you know, it's also, hey, you know, go enjoy your wife. You just got married. Go enjoy being a young married person without being sent off to war. So we see here man's got he's engaged to a woman he hadn't married her. let him go and return to his house lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. The last exemption is cowardice. Then the officer shall speak further to the people and say, who is the man that is afraid and whose heart is faint? Now, this is talking, you know, we just had the priest tell the people, don't be afraid. God is going with you. And so the the fear, you know, the cowardice is not befitting someone who is trusting in God. And so the cowardice and faithlessness are, are very close closely aligned. Because if you don't believe, then you're, you know. Um, you're more likely to be fearful. So if someone was faint at heart and afraid, let him go and return home. Now this person is sent home not for his own benefit. You notice the first three was, let him go enjoy the house he's built. Let him go enjoy the fruit of the vineyard he's planted. Let him go enjoy the, the new wife. Those are for the benefit of the soldier being sent home. This one is for the benefit of the soldiers that remain. It says, Who is the man that is afraid and whose heart is faint? Let him go and return to his house so that he might not make his brother's heart melt like his heart. Get the defeatist out of the army so that he doesn't damage the morale of the rest of the troops. This is for the benefit of those who remain to fight, not for the benefit of the man who's being sent home. And in fact, in this case, a man who was sent home should probably live in disgrace the rest of his life. Then says, now when it will be when the officers have finished speaking to the people, they shall appoint commanders of armies at the head of the people. So you, you, this is an important thing that, uh, You know, we don't want, you know, it it takes care of the morale of the army. It takes, because, I mean, it's it's good for morale if you know, hey, I'm getting married. I shouldn't go to war. I get to enjoy being a newlywed. It's good for the morale of the people to know that they will be allowed to enjoy their homes, their vineyards, and their family, rather than go fight in a war. And risk losing that time at home with family. And it also is good for morale to get the coward out of the army as well. So then verse 10 starts talking about um, this offer of peace. Call for terms of peace. And They come near a city to fight against it. You shall call for terms of peace. These are cities outside of Canaan. These were not under God's judgment of total destruction. And if that's the case, Israel was to offer a peace treaty. Now, there's nothing here about why they're going to fight that city. So, let's assume, because this is God, that this is a just war. Either this city has been you know, threatening Israel or has attacked Israel, or somehow made themselves the enemies of Israel. This is not one of the cities of Canaan that was that was destined for total destruction by God. This is a city outside of the Promised Land that yet has made war against Israel, and Israel has come near to the city, meaning that that uh, Israel is being victorious, not the city. and in that case when they came near the city to fight against it they were to call for terms of peace you know and and so basically it goes like that you know we have defeated your army in the field we have now marched and surrounded your city surrender and uh, so it says if it opens to you then all the people who are found in it shall become your forced labor and shall serve you So if the city surrenders, the people were to be enslaved. And the property would be, you know, all their stuff would be taken as loot, the people would be enslaved, and the city would presumably become an Israelite city, or if it was too far away, it would just simply be abandoned. That's what happens if if they surrender. If they don't surrender, then... Israel was to besiege the city. Now, a siege—the the last real siege was, that I can think of was—I uh, I guess you could say Berlin at the end of World War II, but I'm thinking more of Stalingrad, where basically the the in the city of Stalingrad the the Soviet troops surrounded the city and completely cut off the German troops that were in the city and they starved them out. They ran out of food, they couldn't get food in and out, they were cut off from everything, and basically they starved. That's the way siege warfare works. You cut off the the the, in this case a city, your your Middle Ages, a castle You would cut it off from all outside help so that no food could get into the city and you let hunger do the work for you. Now, these are fortified cities. They have walls and gates and everything. The fortifications are what's known as a force multiplier. Fewer men on a wall can defend a city against a greater number of men outside assaulting the wall. Attacking a fortification is a costly endeavor in, in lives, especially in this age of hand-to-hand combat. They, they couldn't bombard the city. They couldn't call in airstrikes. You know, you had to charge against a wall, with people on top of the wall first shooting arrows at you and then dropping rocks on you when you got right under the wall. You'd have to charge up against the wall, throw up a a ladder, climb up over the wall, all of this while fighting by hand against people who are trying to keep you from doing that. The people on top of the wall have the advantage. And so rather than assault a fortification... The normal procedure was to besiege it. That way your people aren't being put to risk. And so you camp outside the walls. You don't let any food in. And you just let the people starve. And eventually they're going to surrender but uh, or die. So it says, if it does not make peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And Yahweh your God will give it into your hand, and you shall strike all the males in it with the edge of the sword. Only the women and the little ones and the animals and all that is in the city, all its spoil, you shall plunder for itself. So if the city surrenders, then all the people become slaves of Israel. If the city does not surrender, And Israel has to besiege it, and they force a surrender. All the men are to be put to death, but not the women and children, not the animals. That was to be spoiled for Israel. Um, And and plunder, he says, so you shall consume the spoil of your enemies, which Yahweh, your God, has given you. So this would enrich the Israelites, because they would now have all the goods and all the, the slaves from this city. And he says, and then verse 15 is specific about the fact that this is the cities that are far from you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not the city of the nations nearby. So it's talking about, um, you know, these are cities that are not in the land of Canaan. Because if they're in the land of Canaan, Those cities were to be completely destroyed. Not the buildings, all the people, all the goods. The buildings were to be used by the Israelites. So Canaanite cities were to be totally destroyed. Nothing was to be spared. All the people, all the riches, you know, even burning the, the, the warehouses of grain, all of that was to be done in the Canaanite cities because they were devoted to destruction because of their sinfulness against God um, and, and their influence of idolatry. And he says, don't, you know, if you fail to destroy them, he says, you're supposed to destroy them so that they will not teach you to do all of the abominations they have done in their false, uh, false worship of false gods. So you know, don't don't imitate the abominations of the people in the land. And if you don't destroy them, they will influence you to do the abominations that they have done. And indeed, that's what happened. Israel did not utterly destroy the Canaanites, and eventually. They did um, succumb to uh, the uh, sorry I just got a notification. there's a new driver update available. Most of the time my notifications are turned off, but it, you know that that was a different. It distracted me. I'm sorry. so. Then the final paragraph talks about trees. <laughs> it says if you besiege a city for many days, so the, the the siege is lasting a long time, you shall not destroy its trees by swinging an axe against them, for you may eat from them, and you shall not cut them down. So this is the fruit trees. These are the trees bearing fruit. These are you know trees that will be harvested for fruit and nuts, olives, whatever types of trees there, that would be used for food. Don't destroy those trees. Don't cut them down. You're going to want them. So the, the thing is that during a long siege, trees would be cut down to build siege engines towers and ladders and whatnot for assaulting the city. They would also be cut down to build dwellings for the besieging army. If the army was going to be there a long time, you know they they might need facilities that would be constructed from wood. The other thing is, you know, firewood. You got to cook your meals. You got to keep warm at night. So trees would be cut down for firewood. So a besieging army could and and did devastate the countryside around the city where they were besieging it. So what God is saying here is don't cut down the fruit trees. You can cut down the other trees and use them. He says that at the end. He says, only the trees which you know are not trees for food you shall destroy and cut down that you may build siege works against the city that is making war with you until it falls. So he's not, it's not a prohibition against cutting down every tree, but it is a prohibition against cutting down the fruit trees. He's saying, be smart about this. (laughs) Don't, don't hurt yourself and your future self by destroying now something you'll wish you had later, you know, cut down the trees that are not good for food, to use the wood for the siege, but don't cut down the fruit trees. So this is the, the, uh, the war, the laws of warfare that we have here in uh, Deuteronomy 20. And there's some interesting provisions here. There's some interesting things to consider. Um, and so we we'll, that that's Deuteronomy 20 at a, study Bible level level of study. All right. Let us now recite together our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the collect for the second Sunday in Advent, which was this Sunday just past. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. the for peace. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you is eternal life and to serve you as perfect freedom. Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries. Through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven, given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Tuesday. Hope you have a great day. I've got a bunch of stuff i got to do today, and I'm sure you do too. So in all of your endeavors today, remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.